Welcome to The Truth in This Art. I am your host, Rob Lee. And today, I am privileged to welcome a queer multimedia artist exploring the intersection of sexuality, anxiety, and trauma through photography, creative writing, and bookmaking. Please welcome Nat Rom. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, how's it going? I, I, I like that. That was more energy than I had. So shout out to you. Usually I'm like, hey, man, how's everyone going? You're like, yeah. So, so shout out it's to the you. service industry in me. Like someone says hi and I'm like, hi, how's it going? Would you like to hear about our specials? So really, if anything, I feel like it's kind of a curse. That's that's really funny. So. So, again, thank you for for coming on to the podcast and and agreeing to chop it up with me. So I I like to go into sort of this this introductory space um, and really kind of level set where where we're at. So could you, you know, share what your story is and ultimately some of the like early interests you had growing up and what brought you to like writing poetry? What brought you to photography? Let's talk about that. Yeah. So I first, I often call myself an accidental poet. That's how I'll preface all of this. Um, I kind of fell into poetry a bunch of times over the course of my life. Like I I found myself writing poetry. Like I I got a book on writing as a kid because I guess someone in my family was like, oh, Nat writes, like there's, there's writing skills there. And they gave me a book on, you know, writing for kids. And I had fun with it. I wrote little haikus, did all that. Um, I got really, really into like Microsoft Paint and uh, like digital art for a while as well. And so I'd print things out and I'd like staple them together and make little books. Um, and then the photography side of things, like I, I'm 26. I grew up with camera phones. Like I, I aged as the camera phone kind of <laughs> developed to what it is now. Um, and my first cell phone was like a, it was a Motorola razor. Um, and I, I took photos with it because like, I was like, Oh my God, I have a camera now. And I was so excited. Um, and people would always be like, why are you taking a picture of that? No one ever really got it. Um, but that's that's kind of the earliest origins of everything I do creatively is this sort of like <laughs> renegade childhood practice. Um, but sort of as it, as it's snowballed along in high school, like I kind of became more of like a serious craft photographer. Like I took some classes. Yeah. Um, I was the editor in chief of my high school's literary and art magazine. So I've always had like really strong interest in publishing as well. Yeah. Um, and then that kind of led to going to art school and that led to making work after graduation, which anyone who's been to art school and has made work after graduation will tell you like, it's, it's a weird time to be making work. Um, and then that was sort of what led into where I am now, which is um, getting my MFA in creative writing. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for, for walking us through that. That's um, it, it. I do have a very, I, I feel it might be a little rudimentary, but I'm very, very interested in this process oh, of, of like creating a book or zine. What What is that? How does that happen? Like, I don't know anything about the publishing thing. I think I'm overthinking it, but like it's a, it's a lot of interest. I just want to have like just, you know, podcast weekly. I have a lot of fake magazine and book titles that I want to put out there. Love it. <laughs> so, so what what goes into it for for you when you're like doing sort of the the, the bookmaking and combining that with your other background? Seems like you're almost a one stop shop in many regards. Very much. It's actually it's funny. My day job's in marketing, and because of all of these skill sets, I'm also kind of a one stop shop when it comes to work. 
Um, like it's it's really kind of lent itself well in a very weird way to what I do to earn a living. Um, but beyond that, um, I would say I feel like the book side of things really kind of came out in college. Um, and I really became kind of enamored with the way that a book could tell a story. So that's first and foremost kind of where I approach it as like a device for like a possible narrative, um, something like that. Um, and then the actual nuts and bolts of it is sure. just like, it's not as, it's not as like complicated or even, I would even say really as pretty as you think it would be. Um, it's a lot of just kind of like drag here and InDesign here and there. I, a lot of my process, unfortunately, is not as hands-on as it used to be um, because I just don't have the like tangible bookmaking resources or frankly space anymore. I live in a studio apartment. Mm. Um, so that's it's sort of taken away the tangible aspect but i do still make like kind of folded paper stapled zines um for like my patreon and stuff like that because it's it's fun i can't help myself i just want to make little books all the time <laughs> um but in terms of kind of going through like the publishing route um i've been mostly i had been mostly self-publishing until i started working with other publishers to get my work out there um, and because I had been mostly self-publishing, that sort of led to me starting my own press. Um, it's just a skill set I have, and I wanted to use it to help other people. So I was pretty stoked about that, um, being able to do that. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, I guess I, I, th I think that kind of answered the question. No, no, a no, bit, no, I, I think it did. And um, it's something about like having that in your hand because everything is so whatever, whether it's a zine, whether it's a book, having that in your hand, everything is so digital. And I know that, you know, there it's I'm, I'm very um, I'm very subjective as to what i'm going to bring in to the to the space like you mentioned the studio apartment i felt that like this whole setup that i have was in my studio apartment and i was like it's studio in quotes but also i live here so don't be weird and yeah <laughs> and so so having both of those but then i then i start thinking of what have i purchased that's non-digital over the last few years and this is a thing that i've been playing with a lot recently because i think you know, creative work is being kind of infringed upon where you have like NFTs and everything is like digital, what have you. And I think there's space for it, but I think we're not using it. We're not quite there yet as far yeah. as this is a part of the mix, not like, no, this is going to replace everything. And when I, I'm a big audiobook guy and I listen to a lot of audiobooks and I'm very like, all right, which one am I going to buy a copy of? Like I've already purchased it, but what's going to be the physical copy that's in my space because it's limited space. I get, I'll buy a bunch. I have a lot of art books in here. And on occasion I'll interview people and they're like, Oh, here, take my book. I was like, I got more space now. And <laughs> I'm, but I'm very like interested in that area to the degree where, you know, I think I had a, I had a bit, um, I wanted to take this play a couple years ago on um the whole green book idea of what places are safe for black folks or what have you to go yeah. to and, stuff. and i was like maybe there's a lane for it but kind of taking that idea and reimagining it because you know we have this is um this is an official you know queer business this is an official black business and so on i'm like I, I remember, you know, I, re I remember Uber Eats and everything. I was like, this is a Chinese restaurant. This is not a black business. Like, so kind of having a further more vetted, real, like keeping money and keeping resources in certain communities. That's kind of the idea there. So, you know, hearing InDesign has me very happy because <laughs> I can just like, I can just make this. 
Oh yeah, absolutely. It's, it's easier than it looks is what I would say. Um, like the learning the software for me was the hard part. And I, I mean, learning the software was, it, it had some, it had its ups and downs. I did it. I took typography when I was in undergrad and I was yeah. not a graphic designer. So I've learned a lot. Um, and I felt like that was really helpful. <laughs> Yeah, um, I've um, I'm a data analyst by day, so I'm always trying to learn new things, new softwares, and uh, it's like you know you you'll prefer like I'm recording this using Zoom, but I'll also use like Riverside or I'll edit in maybe GarageBand sometimes. But I like Audacity; it's freeware. I like that a little bit more. I love Audacity. I got to be honest with you. So yeah, and you know, people say, "Oh, use Photoshop." I have Photoshop. But I'm like, I'm kind of just using Canva right now. This, this is easier for me to use. Yeah, I actually I feel like I use Photoshop more these days for its like illustrative qualities, if that makes mm -hmm. sense. I do a lot of like collage layering in Photoshop now yeah. rather than like using it to edit photos the way I used to. So your 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 process in that area is kind of like shifted and say, ah, just use it for this purpose. It's part of the mix. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, if I have to pay for the whole creative suite because I have to have InDesign, like there's <laughs> I really have to have InDesign. So I kind of feel like I'm like, well, if I have to have the whole creative suite, I'm gonna play with it. Mm -hmm. I uh you could you could go super old school and say, ah, let me get publisher. Let me let me do it in that. <laughs> I was thinking about bridge the other day. I miss Adobe Bridge so much. <laughs> I, I just got like, um, I think over the last two years, I've been using a creative suite or what have you mostly for um, just it's it's really weird. It's like for um, it's like for Adobe Audition just on occasion, but really is for like the reader because people will send me like oh, contracts yeah. and stuff. And it's like, OK, I need them. I just want to get the suite. No, it's so it's so useful. I totally get that. So how do like personal experiences inform some of the messaging themes that go into your work from a more like overarching holistic point of view what are some of those personal experiences that kind of work themselves you know into your work and kind of inform that work yeah um so to answer the question of kind of like how i mean just to one word i would say at first is just like profusely like everything i make is so about lived experience that yeah. like it's very I don't know, it's almost sometimes difficult for me to like touch something to a specific lived experience because it's so ingrained in me. But that being said, um, I'm a repeat relationship trauma survivor and I don't know exactly like when my practice became this sort of inherent act of healing, yeah. but it, it did. And it's sort of what that is now. And I've always really found my creative process to be kind of an important outlet for processing those experiences. Um, I guess it if I had to trace it back to a particular point in time, I would say probably like early, early undergrad, like early art school is when I kind of started going down that road. Um, I had just um, gone through sort of my first real experience with sexual violence and I was using my work to sort of process it. Um, I made this like very, I don't really know how to describe it other than like very uncharacteristic for me other than the theme, um, I made a fiber project and I don't, I don't really work with fibers a lot, but it was just, it had kind of spoken to me in that moment. Yeah. I did um, embroidery of like various kind of like isms and um, sort of like really insults for lack of a better word that people use to talk about women's bodies, like rack city and like stuff like that. Um, and that was sort of my first real dip into making work about my lived experience and sort of making work about the things that I had dealt with. Um, and that's sort of 
kind of continued on this train throughout this entire creative life of mine. Mm-hmm. Um, really, I feel like I also I see an art therapist and that's definitely been um, kind of a part of it. Mm-hmm. I don't bring my art into my therapy practice as much as I used to. Um but it's still a very important thing for me. And it's definitely like a tool for processing and a tool for healing first and foremost. Thank you. Thank you for that, for sharing that. Um, yeah. I, I think when we're not within what we're doing, you know, it doesn't have that sort of like, I make this work and it doesn't really speak in this way. Like I always go back to why I started doing this. I got tight for somebody talking about Baltimore, literally it point blank. It's like, I'm from here. How dare you? All of that. I was just literally, I took a figurative soapbox, stood on it and then complained. And then 500 plus plus podcast later, here we are, you know, love it. <laughs> and, it, but I think it's, it's, it's it can be one of those sort of motivators. Like, I think there are, you know, we talk about some of the, the really like nice and good on a resume sort of motivators or inspiration, but it's like some of those dark ones, like, I'm doing this out of spite. I'm doing this to stunt. Oh, yeah. I'm showing y'all like, look, this is what I do. And those are the those are the things I really, I really get interested in because it's not always um the the kind and fluffy sort of thing. Sometimes it's like some some whack shit happened to me and you know, or some whack shit I experienced. Yeah. And I this is gonna be a part of what I'm doing. And sometimes it might be I'm petty. I just like being petty. A hundred percent. I will just say like my brand really is kind of persevering out of spite. Um, I, I, I feel like that's kind of become who I am. Like I, I, I was at once a point where I was like very much the spiteful person who like really aired all of their exes out to dry in their work. Um, lately that's been kind of become kind of more confessional poetry and self-examination, but yeah, I'm definitely doing this a little bit out of spite. I mean, the truth is in this art. <laughs> uh, so, like, for for folks that you know, like, experience your work in in, in sort of this multimedia space, um, what what would you want them to like take from it? Be inspired by? Like, talk about that a bit. Like, you yeah. know. If someone is listening to this sort of thing, I want them to learn about these different cities, these different artists and what is baked into their work and maybe get some inspiration from it. Maybe get some knowledge from it. It's like mostly to inform, but a little bit of entertainment. I'm, I'm mostly, I'm somewhat inter- yeah. I'm a little entertaining, um, but really to, to learn something from it. So what do you want folks to take from what your, your work is about? I think the most important thing for me in making work is, and kind of going back to why I said I was drawn to the book form was this idea of narrative, like sure. being able to have a degree of control over the narrative of the things that happened to me was very important to me. It helped me reclaim a lot of my autonomy. And I think also in sharing that narrative that it it opens up a lot of space for folks who have experienced similar things to not feel alone, but not to necessarily have to like explicitly out themselves as having experienced this in order to feel that there's a lot of people that are really private about this struggle. And I think that's okay as well. And yeah. so for me, it's important to connect to other people that have experienced this. Yeah. Connection is important. Um, and this, this notion of feeling we're on an island and, and so on, I think more and more people are, are comfortable with sharing this, this idea, this notion that, 
Well, this was what my thing was, and I'm sure that, you know, there's a story that's out there that everyone can connect on that that level with. I think connectivity is important. And over the last few years, I think we've shifted on how we view that, you know, with COVID and all of these kind of different things that have been happening. And, you know, there's so many things that fall in the background that try to separate us. And I think being able to see these things that are unifying factors that's that's where it's, that's where the important stuff is at, I think. Absolutely. And I think it's also just so important for like for me to feel like other people feel like that space exists. This this is what I feel really happy about because I thought I did a little bit of a turn of phrase here. Creativity is often described as a fire or fire like. What ignites your creativity? Well, um, I talked, I talked about the whole, you know, the lived experience thing. Um, Definitely my surroundings, like kind of in the photography sense, especially Um, like so much of my photography is just born from like what is around me. I've been doing a lot of photographing the everyday the last couple of years and sort of just letting my camera pull me. Um, So that lived experience surroundings. And then, I mean, I'd be absolutely a huge liar if I said I was not inspired by other creative works. Like I'm so inspired by like TV. I'm very inspired by video games. Um, (laughs) I'm actually working on um, kind of slowly working towards my graduate thesis, which I'm hoping is going to be sort of this love letter to Baltimore tied through my childhood video games. Um, I'm really excited about this one. I'm not going to lie. Um, but I've become so fond of finding inspiration in pop culture also. Um, music lyrics, music lyrics are a big one for me, especially as a poet. Um, yeah. So yeah, movies and cinematography as a photographer, like kind of all over the place. We, we might have to have a movie conversation. Uh, I feel like yeah, I might be doing a movie. I might do a movie podcast on occasion. Hint, hint. Oh, I love to hear that. <laughs> and um, I, I did a series of interviews in um, Austin uh, last year. And one of the guests, he's doing an 8-bit game about growing up in the 90s. <laughs> Oh, that's fantastic. He made me as a character in the game. That's he, So when I met him for the interview, he showed me a still of what I look like in the game. And I was like, <laughs> and so, I'm obsessed yeah. with that. I it's, love that. It's really cool. It's really cool. <laughs> so tell me about constraints, because I, I find like, you know, some some people like visual artists, they go into the spot of like, I'm only going to use these colors. Um, I I put some constraints in there, but it's, it's slightly different, I guess. It's like I'm not talking to everyone. I'm not going. For, I'm not. It's some curation that goes into what I'm doing here. Um, what sort of constraints do you you put into your work and incorporate within your work? So I feel like I get very enamored with concept, and then that kind of dictates constraints from there. Um, I'm not necessarily very uniform about what I will consider a a constraint. Um, like I'm thinking about like my first, um, like real serious, like solo artist monograph, which was all black and white photos. And I did that because it was inspired by the dream state. And I was kind of obsessed with the idea of dreaming in black and white at the time. So that was why it became the way that it was, but it wasn't all black and white series. Um, so that kind of constraint there. And then, in the artistic sense, I've done this, I've done the kind of constraint thing a lot, but I feel like it's also very much spilled over into my writing practice. I've become a really big fan of kind of doing what I call like the concept chat book. Um, so I'll do like a, I'll, I'll write probably like 
18 to 20 pieces kind of around the same theme that are like all super tightly tied to a specific concept. Um, I work, I've worked on one that was like basically just like a roast of contemporary art bros like Jeff Koons. Um, it's, it's really great. Honestly, I'm pretty excited about it. I hope someone picks it up soon. Um, but I also, I literally today just had published a uh, short collection of essays uh, like that are just based around all 11 of my core astrological chart placements. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I, I, like I said, I kind of tend to get very enamored with concept and just go really full tilt on it. Yeah. I mean, um, I, that, going back to it, that I, I think you would do very well on that art, that, uh, that, that movie podcast, because that's what we do in there. We get deep into the weeds. It's like, yeah, so, you know, this was a little bit of that trivia that happened and really going into it. <laughs> and I, I get so into things yeah. like I really do tend to deep dive into my interests. So, like, I can absolutely relate to that. <laughs> It's like, can we have less trivia? No, more trivia. <laughs> I want we we just did. I my um two best friends from high school were in town for the holidays, and we just did a trivia night together. And we're a, a we're a pretty good trivia team. I'm going to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, I was not really sure of what exactly to expect because we all have pretty much the same interests. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, um, I was part of a trivia team uh, at uh, was it like Full Tilt maybe, uh, maybe right before the uh, end of uh, this before the end of December, and uh, it, it was funny. It was like Rob is going to be a good addition here because he knows random minutia. It's not like I know one particular area. It's like I have Seinfeld knowledge. It's like the stuff I know no means nothing. But I know a lot of it. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I oh, think I'm that person too. <laughs> it's like, what random guy did this thing? Yeah, that was, uh, you know, Oliver uh, Titgrease or whatever. I don't know. And that's one of the names that's there. <laughs> well, and then the, the reason I know it is always something like so, like six degrees of separation. Like, oh, I was working with an author when like this happened. And like, literally, <laughs> we had a question about when um, Russia launched the full scale invasion of Ukraine. And I knew because one of my authors was Ukrainian. And everybody was like, what? I was like, yeah, that's when that happened. Definitely, mm -hmm. for sure. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I can't remember who I've talked to in a given week until the episode is up and ready. But I can remember what they said. It's like, yeah, I was talking to somebody this week. And they mentioned this. I can remember that almost in this sort of idiotic way. But when it comes to who said it, not in the form of a question. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> it's the bartender's curse for me. Like, I, I remembered people by their drinks when I used to bartend um like mm. and not by really their name or anything like distinguishable about them like oh no that's the guy that drinks manhattans there there might be a, a drink out there now I, you know what this is going to be a rapid fire question that's going to pop off I, I need that i need that uh what does your drink say about you yeah oh i right love now. that uh so let's talk about um you, you so you have you're the founder of two is it two or is it more than two different like press uh so talk it's about that two yeah. uh yeah it's two so you have uh dark side collective right mm -hmm. and uh fifth wheel press can you tell us more about those and ultimately like the you know and i think you touched on it a little bit earlier so let's dive back in that a bit yeah. What do you what do you want to contribute through through those presses for like the for the arts community and tell us a bit about the origin story yeah, so um, Dark Side Collective kind of began, I would say, like early, early to mid 2019. Um, I had just graduated from art school at MICA, um, and I was kind of looking for a way to create artistic community. Sure. I felt like that was something I was really missing in my life. And um, we're kind of 
on hiatus right now because both me and my co-leader are in grad school. It's just become kind of like juggling way too many plates. Um, but at the time, it was a really wonderful way of connecting artists that were working with similar materials and themes. And honestly, like a lot of the people who met through the collective, myself included, are still in creative contact with each other. I really love to see it um, because that's exactly what I was envisioning. Um, I definitely like have not ruled out a comeback. Um, we may bring in some new leadership if that's the case because uh fifth wheel's kind of blossoming in its own way and that's related to my degree so it's it's been a little bit more complicated to kind of take those things on in grad school but it's at least related to what i'm doing in grad school so i'm like okay well <laughs> um but then fifth wheel was created kind of the same year as dark side collective and kind of also out of a void that I was experiencing. Yeah. Um, I had been submitting my work around a lot. Um, and this was when I was really just doing photography, um, trying to get it published. And I felt like I was just constantly getting rejected. Um, I mean, there just aren't a lot of book deals out there for photographers. That's really the fact of the matter. And I felt like I was also like, I was looking into who the publishers that I was sending my work to were publishing. Mm -hmm. And it was like, all white men. And I was just like, what, wait, what? Like, really? Like, I knew this in my heart, but I also, like, just really had not ever taken the step back to see it in action before. And I was like, oh, my God. So that was kind of when I started Fifth Wheel as a space. Um, at the time, I identified as a cis woman and was it was very much kind of for lens-based artists of marginalized gender identities sort of across the board. Um, and then my practice expanded into kind of writing and my understanding of my gender evolved. Um, and we sort of shifted to becoming a queer focused literary and art space um, yeah. because I felt like that's just something that is so important right now. Mm -hmm. um, it's There are publishers like us that are out there, but I did feel like we're still kind of filling this important void. Um, and I will, like, I'm not being dramatic when I say that Fifth Wheel Press is my child. Um, it's absolutely, it's so representative of everything I am passionate about as a person. I love the places it's taken me. I love the places it has allowed me to meet. Places it's allowed me to meet people. It has allowed me to meet places it's taken me. Ooh. I was going to um, let you roll with that for a second. I was like, hold up. Where? Yeah. <laughs> people it's allowed me to meet. Um, it's been, it's been really lovely. I feel like it has been just such a great way to combine my love for publishing with my love for helping other people connect creatively, helping people feel seen and be represented. That's great. The connect again, connection, connection, connection. And what you were describing to me felt like, uh, when you know you hear the stories it's not in the same like like area but it's in the same sort of like sensibility when someone goes to a city and they're like there were no great tacos so i opened up my own place to fill that sort of void and it's like yeah. there's not a place for me to kind of do what i need because these are the people that are getting the deals and i'm gonna make it myself that is punk rock that's making your own lane i i love that i've always been very if you don't beat them join them like very much of that sort so i i felt like it was important for me to create that space i was like i i this one's important to me and it's it's always been kind of important to me but now especially i think i'm on the wave of you shouldn't join them so beat them i'll take that that's, that's even better <laughs> That's that's that, that it comes to me and i realize that's actually what i'm doing spite no that's <laughs> true i mean and I'll, you know what? That actually, it fits. I'll take it. <laughs> See, we're, we're making things as it goes along. I, mean, I love it. I love it. Um, so 
I, I I had this period, um, and it's like two more questions here. I had this period where you can love what you're doing. I love doing these interviews. I love talking with people. And, you know, at a point, you know, I don't realize like, oh, wow, I've done six interviews today, or I've been talking the entire day. And there is one or two times I've actually lost my voice. And I needed to like, and like, this is my instrument. I don't have it. Chamomile tea, something, ginger water. Uh, and you, you get exhausted, but you're not really tired, you know, like, and sometimes I get like energized, especially if there's someone I'm like, I'm really, really, really interested in. And, and it's most of my guests, right? Most of the people that come on, I'm super interested in learning about. And I think it comes through in the interviews. Um, but, you know, at times you got to be mindful of what regenerative, what takes energy and so on. Within the work that you're doing, writing, photography, just every grad school, all of the things. <laughs> Yeah. What is the most energizing part of it? And what is the most exhausting part of it for you? Oh, God. I mean, it's definitely always a little bit of both. Um, like, as you said, like, you can really go all in and then you're just like, oh, God, I'm exhausted. Like, and you don't realize you've been doing the thing all day. Like, I absolutely I kind of have let my Sundays become that like, it really is just like it's press day. And I'll knock out like, I've tried to keep myself from like, basically from over planning and from trying to spiral too much into like doing too many things. And I, I block my schedule out and I only allow myself to do a certain amount of what I kind of call big tasks a day. Um, and I mean, I'll like on a Sunday, I'll sometimes be like, Oh, I just knocked out like seven of those. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, I'm really tired now. Um, so it's definitely, I would say the most exhausting thing is admin work. I mean, I, nobody likes to do admin work. Um, it's brutal and it's that, and I will say fulfillment, we're kind of moving the way we do fulfillment around for our books, but like, that was a very big physical strain on me for a while, because it's just like, you're carrying stuff, you're lifting stuff, you're bending over, like you're doing all like when I do fulfillment and I like, sometimes my printer's out of ink, I have to go steal my parents' printer and that's upstairs. And it's just like it's it's stuff like that that I'm like oh this is like that sort of day-to-day -day minutia um but definitely the most energizing part of it I think I would agree with you and say that it's it's the people it's it's the community it's like it's how many people after our first um anthology went out said like I you know what I'm so grateful like this is the first time I've ever been published and I think yeah. that just makes my heart sing that yeah. that's why I do what I do that's that's wonderful um I was talking with someone about this recently because 2022 was really, really cool for me. A lot of good things that, that that happened, a lot of good opportunities and a lot of blessings, as it were. And, you know, they're talking like really appreciating it more and enjoying it more. And like, so, you know, a person was asking me, so what do you enjoy most about it? What do you, you know, really get up for? And, you know, I wanted to think about it more deeply. You know, it's like, you know, when people tell me this was the kind of similar, this was the first time that I was on a podcast. I'm like, oh, wow, I hope it was good. Or when when someone like um, sees me and they're like, hey, Rob, and it's like, oh, hey, you think we're friends or this, this is cool. Let's, you know, let's, let's let's chit chat or things of that nature. That's that's really cool. And it runs counter to how we deem success. Like, oh, absolutely. We, and it's like, oh, yeah, you need to scale. You need to do this. Where's your, you know, your whatever your thing is. It's like, no, nah, I don't want to take it to that level. I don't want I'm not there. I'm I'm doing something that this fulfills me in this way. And, you know, I don't feel sort of the exhaustion sometimes when because I get that little instant hit of, oh yes, hello, how are you doing? Socializing, connecting with people. That that kind of brings me back when that when that yeah. exhaustion is happening. Yeah. 
It definitely helps. And I would say like we, we had like the sweetest moment in um, the fifth wheel community discord server. Like I think it was yesterday. Um, we just released the call for our third anthology and people are in the server. Like now that I know you guys, like I want to write something really, really good for this anthology. And I'm like, stop. I love you all so much. And you're making me so happy. Like this is amazing. This is exactly what I want. Like stuff like that just makes it so worth it. That's wonderful. Um, so, uh, let's see, I got one last real question and then I now have more rapid fire questions. Thanks. Um, Fantastic. <laughs> so, um, tell me about, um, future projects within this coming out within the la the next six months to a year, what have you, um, that you're really kind of like amped up. Cause you're a planner. I, I got yeah, that from I'm you earlier. Planner. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I'm pretty stacked. Like I said, I had a chat book come out today. That was kind of a pleasant surprise. Um, I had it picked up by a press that works on a really quick timeline. Um, and so I actually didn't even know it was coming out today until like yesterday. They were like, oh, yeah, we can launch tomorrow. I'm like, awesome. Um, <laughs> so that is called Self-Portrait of Several Clusters of Stars. I've mentioned it. It's the astrology essay, micro yeah. chat book situation. Um, my first book of visual poetry is coming out with uh, Bullshit Lit this summer. Um, that's called Random Access Memory. It's the super weird deep dive into my old hard drive, like highly recommended. It's <laughs> kind of entertaining. Um, and then, <laughs> as I said, uh, focus is really kind of like kind of noodling towards my graduate thesis, which is this, as I said, sort of love letter to Baltimore through local fauna and the way I grew up. I grew up in the woods. So um, local fauna, local flora and like childhood video games, like just very kind of nostalgia anchored in place. Like it. Um, I'm, I'm really excited about this one. So. Yeah, like I'm, it. it's definitely kind of the thing that is lighting my fire the most these days is when I like come up with a new idea for a piece for that project. I'm like, oh, yes, awesome. Like, <laughs> feels good. I like I like those instances where people revisit and um, I, I, I won't do it because I know I have uh, I used to rap in high school, which was not good. Uh, shout out to City and uh, I feel like I have one of the mini cassette tapes of my rapping in there. It was like rap for like it was like nerd rap it wasn't mc chris or anything in that sort of space but it was very much so like i was in advanced writing and i was trying to impress someone in the class so i did a nice. rap in character as macbeth so amazing that might be somewhere i was calling myself murder mac m-u-r-d-a because you know it's murder uh uh job rule i don't know um so <laughs> i won't be playing that on any of the podcasts <laughs> i gotta have some degree of coolness but um yeah being able to revisit some of that old stuff i remember um kevin smith did that uh on on smodcasts which is one of the influences that got me into podcasting as a whole and i remember him listening to old clips of him like he's like at 48 at the time and he's listening to old clips when he was like 16 to 18. And he's like oh I was such a shithead he's like i sucked and it's just he's like i'm just so self-important and i was like i want to find that but i'm so i'm so scared to actually play it it's like oh i sucked no i totally get that and i will say as part of this project i rewrote a bunch of poetry that i wrote in high school and it was so bad it was so bad <laughs> like i read it and i was just like oh like and it was stuff i had published by like the school literary magazine i was like okay this is this is what good poetry was back then okay okay like just okay i had i had one piece published 
Um, it was a it was a, a short story fiction of living in the. Uh, it was mostly fiction. It was, it was kind of based on reality. Uh, it was living in the projects in the early nineties, and I just saw a lot as a kid. And it was about that. I remember my teacher was like, oh, that's such a creative story. I was like, this is what happened. My neighbor was thrown out of a window. Yeah. <laughs> and she's like, I, she's like, oh, my God, that's so interesting. I was like, this was my life. <laughs> is it? Is it interesting? Is it? Is it really like? It's so urbane. It's just like, yeah. shut up. <laughs> nope. So. And in, in, in this last this last segment here, I want to go into some rapid fire questions. And uh, again, thank you for 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 taking this journey with me. This has been fun. Um, and I want to dive into these questions. Um, and I think I have a sense on it, but you know, rapid fire, rapid fire. You know how rapid fire works. I don't need. Yeah. All right. I'm going to do these out of my order. You have no idea what this order is. Um, when when you were little, um, what did you want to be when you grew up? Oh my God, this is like the longest list ever because I changed my mind so many times. Um, <laughs> Give us the top I, three then. <laughs> everybody wanted to be a pop star or a rock star or an actor. So I'm going to throw that in there. Like ev everybody my age at one point wanted to be famous. I will absolutely put myself in that realm. Um, I wanted to be a <laughs> lawyer for an inexplicably long period of time. I still don't think I would be bad at it, but I don't want to do it. Right, right. Um, and then I wanted to be the first woman president for quite a while also. I like it. Like solid year and a half. That was my dream. So, yeah. I wanted to be an astronaut doctor, like literally both. It's like, you know, dual track program. Uh, <laughs> yeah, years. like your, your local university just offers a program and like astronaut, <laughs> uh, like astronaut uh, physici physicianry. I, I don't even know, but. It's like a just, just an MD on the USS bullshit or whatever. I'm into it. <laughs> Um, what is your favorite color combination? You can take that however you would want to take it, whether it's clothes, whether it's, you know, whatever. Oh, color is so important to me, but I love, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to cop this question out, I guess, because I'm going to say the bisexual flag colors, which are pink, purple, and blue. And that's actually an honest thing for me that I didn't realize I was doing, um, I, when I started my new job, um, which isn't actually so new at this point anymore, but when it was new, um, I had a small budget to get things for my desk and everything I bought by complete <laughs> accident was those three colors. And I was like, oh. <laughs> that tracks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, do, you, do you prefer to start your day with uh, tea, coffee, or something else? If you, uh, if you get my meaning. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I do get your meaning. Uh, there's always a little bit of something else going on. Um, but I would say I'm a tea person through and through. Um, I used to be a very big coffee drinker. Actually, also used to drink a lot of Red Bull. Um, so I've kind of tried to cut back on the heavy caffeine these days. Like I'll drink like an oolong tea or a green tea. Nice, nice. Uh, yeah, I, I I was saying before we uh, got on and for the recording portion of this, I was like, oh, I just, uh, just you know, had coffee and tea and that's it until literally an hour ago. Oh, I totally get that. Yeah. And, you know, it's all it's always great that comeback from uh, fasting for the most part all day. It's such a great feeling. Uh, yep. <laughs> let's see. Um, what'd you have for breakfast today? You got two more after this. Today. Oh, what did I have for breakfast? I, this is, again, like I said, the neurodivergent mind doesn't remember. Um, this morning, I think all I had for breakfast was like a, it's like a pastry. I don't know how to quite describe it. I guess it was like a lemon pastry. 
Okay. Like not quite, not quite a Danish, but like a, not quite a hand pie, like a lemon. Like I, 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 like I said, I wish I had a better way to describe this for you. Like I'm staying at my parents because I wanted a quiet space to do this interview. Yeah. And my dad had just bought them at Wegmans. And I was like, you know what? I will eat one of these for breakfast. I'm going to eat this lemon turnover. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, so um, what is your favorite time to work? You were talking about being super productive earlier, especially on those sort of uh, Sundays. You were talking about this is you know, publishing it. So, you know, what is your favorite time, of, whether it's of the year, like you get a lot done and it's, you know, when it's cold and it's terrible weather or when it's super hot or it's like, you know, first thing in the morning, I got to knock these things out before nine because I know somebody use some people use that sort of cadence, like all of my main tasks are before nine. How do you like in terms of cadence? What is your favorite time to work? Oh, my God, it's absolutely the middle of the night. It's like <laughs> without a doubt, it's the middle of the night. I love the idea that I can be working on something and nobody is going to bother me. <laughs> There's just something so nice about it. And I do think it also like kind of goes back to my service industry tendencies. Like when I worked in bars, I was always getting out of work at like one o'clock in the morning. And that would be when I would go and like do my work after work. Like I would go home and I would write a poem or I would like drive around with my camera for a little bit after my shift. And that kind of just became something that I did. Yeah. And so now like it's I'm very much a night person. I've always I've always sort of been a night owl, but like especially creatively. Nice. This is the last one I got for you. Um, so I have a, an official drink currently. It's on a menu at Forged. It's called the Rob Lee. Rob Lee. It's delicious. It's a vermouth uh, bourbon uh, and uh, cinnamon syrup. So nice. with that, using that sort of bartending background, what does one's drink say about them? Like if someone's like, I'm, I want a Manhattan or someone's like, I want a you know, Jack and Coke or some people call it a what Remy, maybe uh, or Lemmy rather. Some people call it a Lemmy yeah. for Motorhead or what have you. So in general, what what people's drinks say about them, I th yeah. I, it's interesting because I think it is an indicator of personality, but not necessarily in the ways that people would think. I don't think it's necessarily a stereotype because I think there's like, for example, I think there's multiple kinds of margarita guy. Okay. Like there's the guy who like rolls into the bar and is like, yeah, let's get margarita. Like, like and then there's the guy who rolls into the bar and like, he just like casually orders. He's like, oh, I want margarita. And then just like sits there and drinks <laughs> it and doesn't talk to anybody. Um, so I, and then you have like, I've seen both you of have those the guys. guys who are like afraid to drink, like, uh, like it, you get, you hand them a drink in a coupe and they're like, this is a woman's glass. And I'm like, is it, is it, is it really? But then you hand there's other guys you hand a drink in a coupe and they're like, this is so cool. Like, I feel so fancy. And so you you really see the duality of person in 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 the bar setting. Um, but I think in terms of what their actual drink would say about them, it's definitely kind of like. It's almost like to bring it back to the astrology chapbook, I kind of feel like it's almost like a rising sign. It's kind of, <laughs> it's kind of like the way that you present almost like you yeah. you walk up to a bar you order a drink like that that's who you are for that period of time while you have your drink to the bartender like oh yeah that's the guy who's drinking a malibu and pineapple he's cool like i dig it i dig it yeah i i, I tend to drink and it, 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 that really does track because uh i tend to order if i'm like going to a place it's like i want to make sure this is not something i'm going to mess up it's got to have like one or two of the things in there i'm into like i like mezcal i like vermouth um so if it's got something in there, I'm going to check into that. But I'll order stereotypically manly drinks. And people will look at me and say, how old are you again? 
It's like, why are you ordering the Mad Men special? Like, what is this? Like, why is it always? And I'm allergic to cherries, so there are certain drinks that have that in there. That's like, oh, oh yeah, don't play yourself. Like, be be smart. Uh, but generally, it's like, let me just get an old fashioned. That's just what it is. Just old fashioned. You like, you know, if you should play on old fashioned, like I go to church, uh, church bar, and they have a play on an old fashioned. It's delicious. The mass appeal joint is delicious. <sighs> Haven't been yet. I'm so jealous. Uh, been, been three times, you know, just Lord Lee, yeah. <laughs> just, just a little bit, you know. No, I it's been on my list. I actually I worked with uh Chelsea at Pen and Quill ages ago, so nice. uh, it's been on my list. Definitely interview Chelsea. You got to check that interview out if you haven't already. Chelsea's Ooh, great. I have not. I'm excited about that. Yeah. Um, so, so that's, I think that's pretty much it. I can, can, you know, spend a yarn for longer. I can talk for longer, but this has been, um, fantastic. And yeah. I want to invite and encourage you one again, I want to thank you, but also I want to invite and encourage you to tell the fine folks where they can check you out on social media, website, all of that great stuff. The floor is yours. Yeah. Uh, my website is myname.com. Um, it's right in front of you if you're listening to this podcast. So I really hope I don't have to spell it. I spell my name a lot. I think it's actually just like I spend so much of my time doing that. So um, <laughs> I am on uh, social media as great, except it's spelled GR number eight, Earl of Hell. Um, there's an origin story. And it is that um, actually my partner found this out for me. Um we were doing wikipedia deep dives on like last names and apparently uh, my last name rom is also the name of a uh, a demon who is nice. known as the great earl of hell and i was like that's just too badass i have to i have to have that like it i used to um full circle since since you mentioned i might as well throw this one out there to you uh my original rap name was gr81 nice it's, it's ridiculous phenomenal <laughs> yeah so now i'll continue to embarrass myself again that's um, a great way to end i gotta say yeah so again um i'm rob lee for the great nat rob for coming on thank you again for coming on and uh, i'm rob lee saying that there's art culture writers publishers in and around baltimore you just gotta look for them